morning, everyone. It's uh, morning, those of you online. How many people have we got online today? About 20. Okay. Great. Well, welcome very much to the online service, but it'd be even nicer to see you in the flesh, give you a hug, and uh, have conversations over tea and biscuits afterwards. But, um, and it's also nice to see Aaron and uh, Yolanda. I think, like Yolanda, you attended one of my Zoom things. I remember now. I can't remember why I remember, but somebody in Poland, I think, a friend told me that you existed and somehow put you in touch. That was really nice to see you. When I saw you here, I thought, I, I anyway, I just knew there was something there. So I used to live in Wantner Road <coughs> with my wife, <coughs> and it's in the late 80s, but maybe that's uh, before you came. <coughs> Worked with the Working Members Association with uh, Canute <coughs> for going to the seminary. <coughs> anyway, how are we doing? <coughs> <coughs> so yeah, so I just got back from this workshop um, uh, in uh, Cleve House, there for a week. You want to click? Now we'd, uh, okay, so <coughs> this was the um, yeah, workshop title, Sailing with Our Father. <coughs> and uh, so, well, that's how I started anyway. So what are we talking about here? Click. Um, so there's obviously sailing with our, our natural parents. We like doing things with our natural parents. We like sailing with them on a boat, if you can afford that sort of thing. Or um, maybe um, playing football or cricket or doing a bit of gardening. Um, or we like to do things with our parents. It creates memories. And the more things we do together in the flesh, not just on screen, <coughs> uh, it creates memories, permanent memories. That this is how we build a relationship with each other. But of course, you know, we have, uh, those are our, our natural parents, but of course we often talk click about uh, true parents. I don't know, I had a, anybody here have a chance to go fishing with true parents, with father in the past? No. Oh, you did, Ken. Was that after the seminary in America? Yeah, I had also that chance as well. He was a, uh, I think three boats went out and he caught all the fishing quota for, the, for everybody, basically. Couldn't believe it. And then, of course, we have uh, God as our, our parent as well, a heavenly parent. God provides the wind and man must raise the sail. So that's a nice way of expressing this idea of 95 and 5% responsibility. The wind is there, but unless you raise the sail, then obviously you're not going to go anywhere. The door opens, but if you don't walk through the door, then... You know, that's the way it is. So, I've been working my way in my sermons <coughs> through the Family Pledge. Got to Family Pledge number two. Should have suggested Raymond reread that out this morning, recite it this morning. So, this is it here, which you all know very well. <coughs> and I talked about this a few weeks ago. Our family, the owner of Chungoguk, what it means to be an owner, pledges to represent and become central to heaven and earth by attending God and true parents. We pledge to perfect the dutiful family way of filial sons and daughters in our family, <coughs> parishes in our nation, saints in the world, divine sons and daughters in heaven and earth by century on true love. <coughs> so, next one. So what is a family pledge then? So again, as I mentioned uh, last time we gave a sermon, I think, that's what Father said. You must understand the family pledge is a result of extracting from the principle all the essential contents needed to establish families. 
So it's incredibly distilled, incredibly concentrated. It's a bit like Marmite. You know, there's a lot of strong flavor there. All these little sound bites, <coughs> four great realms of heart, three great kingships, <coughs> feel your sons and daughters, patches. And each of these is like something incredibly dense. And we just recite it. But then often we just recite it and we don't really think how it works or what it means or, or what it's extracted from. <clears throat> so where's the principle itself extracted from? Hmm? Where's the principle extracted from? Family pleasure extracted from the principle. Where's the principle extracted from? Where did it come from? Where did Father discover the principle? <laughs> In the Bible, that's right. So, naturally enough, <coughs> Father said, this is a, the family pledge is entirely, entirely made up of the essence of the providence of restoration. So where do we discover the providence of restoration? In the Bible. So you just base your lives on it whenever you go and whatever you do. The most important thing in all the rap verses of the family pledge is true love. Okay, so out of all those little phrases there, I realize it's going to take me about three years to go through the family pledge. But anyway, so out of these phrases in the family pledge too, I thought we'd maybe look at this one here, understanding filial piety. And how does father understand filial piety? <laughs> Anybody like to say what they think, how they understand filial piety? Anyway, so... This is what Father said uh, a long time ago, I think in the 1960s. What is the center and foundation of the universe? I reached the realm of mystery and I prayed to God and asked this question. And God answered, it's the relationship between a father and his children. I changed that. He said father and son. But, you know, what happens to the daughters? <laughs> so a lot, of the, a lot of the language in Father's speeches and the principle needs to be you know, a bit more inclusive, to be honest. <clears throat> In other words, the father-son relationship. People who do not understand might think we're talking about a relationship of our fathers and mothers, sons and daughters, but we mean the relationship of God and man. So again, I sort of added a few bits there. <clears throat> but ordinary people think it is about their own parents. They think it's about their own father and mother, centering on moral principles. This is wrong. When we look at it from a solid point of view, the conclusion is that the place where God and man becomes one, centering on that deep heart of the father-son relationship, is in the center of the universe. So I found that was kind of interesting. He said ordinary people think it's about their own parents. So I guess that's normally when you think about parents, normally we just think about our natural parents. And we think it's that which, uh, you know, is the essence of it. But as I said, you know, thinking about filial sons, uh, when I talk about sailing with our father, I talk about three different relationships there. The relationship we have with our natural parents, my mum and dad, relationship we have with true parents, and also, of course, a relationship we have with our heavenly parent. And all these, are th we, in that sense, you could say we have three parents. And also we can think about the earth. Uh, that's where we get our bodies from. So that's like a parent as well. So you've got all these different relationships then that we need to, to work with. So... Since Father was talking here in Korea, I think, who is he talking to? People who came basically from a Confucianist background. It's a Confucian, it's a great scholar and a philosopher, and well worth reading, Analects. 
uh, but he didn't talk about God, had almost no understanding of God or that kind of relationship with God. He talked about heaven in a very vague kind of way. Entirely focused on ethics and relationships and family. <clears throat> so if you look up, um, you know, filial piety in, in the Wikipedia or anywhere, generally speaking, you find uh, the Confucianist definition of filial piety, because that's a great virtue within Confucianism. So filial piety means to be good to one's parents. Yep, that's a good thing to do. Take care of one's parents, engage in good conduct, not just towards parents, but also outside the home, so as to bring a good name to one's parents and ancestors. Perform the duties of one's job well, so as to obtain the material means to support parents, as well as carry out sacrifices of the ancestors, <clears throat> not to be rebellious, show love, respect and support, display courtesy, ensure male heirs, female ones as well, I think, otherwise the human race will disappear. Uphold fraternity among brothers, all a bit sort of, you know. <clears throat> Wisely advise one's parents, including dissuading them from unmoral unrighteousness. Display sorrow for their sickness and death and carry out sacrifices after the death. So again, you can see it's very Confucianist there, this focus and emphasis upon ancestors, which is completely absent from the, the biblical tradition. Anyway, so I want to look at uh, filial piety. It's not just a, a Confucianist or Oriental uh, virtue. I actually find filial piety in all cultures, all societies. All societies are made up of families, and all families have parents and children, and they all have relationships with each other, and all have certain kind of expectations and stories. So I thought, well, okay, what's the story in the Bible then which best illustrates the relationship between parents and children, or fathers and sons, in this particular case, generally? And I thought it was the story of Saul, Jonathan, and David. So. I'm sure you remember the story of David. He's a, the youngest uh, son in a big family, lots of brothers. And then he ends up getting involved in this uh, little conflict with the Philistines. And he's very brave and he goes and kills the giant Goliath. And when he kills the giant Goliath, then there was an expectation that the king said, I'll give a reward to whoever kills Goliath. And the reward was that King Saul promised to the person who killed Goliath, the king will give his daughter in marriage. And so when David went to see uh, Saul, he was expecting, maybe now I'm going to get married to Saul's daughter. And so he went up to talk to Saul, uh, and taking along you know, Goliath's head and his sword and shield, I guess. As soon as David had finished talking with Saul about you know, how he had come to uh, kill Goliath, Jonathan's life, now Jonathan is uh, Saul's son, and he's obviously attending, you know, there with his dad, and he's listening to David's report. He's older than David. Jonathan's soul, life, became bound up with David's life, and Jonathan loved David as much as himself. And from that point forward, Saul kept David in his service. So he's playing the harp and, harp and uh, composing psalms, because Saul had some sort of mental difficulties, and it, very helpful when he listened to, to David playing music. And he wouldn't let him return to his father's household. And Jonathan and David made a covenant together because Jonathan loved David as much as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his armor, as well as his sword, his bow, and his belt. David went out and was successful in every mission Saul sent him to do. 
So Saul placed him in charge of the soldiers, and this has pleased all the troops as well as Saul's servants. That's very interesting. I'm not going to go into any detail. Here you've got the perfect Cain-Abel relationship. The older brother recognizes the younger brother, David, is the one that is anointed by God, and he transfers the birthright to David. All the things that signify that he is the heir to the throne and going to become the next king when Saul dies, he gives all these symbols to David. In other words, he's acknowledging that David is the one who should become the next king of Israel. <clears throat> anyway, Saul then, he wasn't so keen on David marrying his daughter. So Saul made David kill many Philistines before allowing him to marry his daughter. So he said, you've got to go and get, I don't know, I can't remember the name, another number, about 120 foreskins of the Philistines. So David had to go and kill about 120 Philistines <clears throat> and uh, prove the evidence, uh, bring back the evidence to, to Saul. Anyway, <clears throat> so David did that, and he's able to marry uh, Saul's daughter. And then in playful frolic, when David came back after his victories, the women sang, Saul kills by the thousand, David by the tens of thousand. Now you think that should make Saul happy. He should think, that's great. I have a general leading the army who's a better soldier, a better warrior, a better general than me, and he's more successful than me. So he should have been incredibly proud to have David as the head of the army. And he should have acknowledged and recognized and rewarded David. Yeah, that's what he should have done. But instead, this made Saul angry, very angry. And he took it as a personal insult. So from that, you can see the limitations of Saul in terms of being a king or being a leader. Yeah, he always wanted to be better and to be more acknowledged than anybody else, instead of being able to have that kind of humility to be able to you know, recognize the qualities of somebody who's working with him or working for him. Instead, he took it as a personal insult. And from that moment on, he kept his eye on David. And when Saul realized the Lord was David and that his daughter Michal loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. So you can see here, Saul in many ways is a very tragic figure. Yeah, he wasn't able to uh, become the kind of king that he needed to be. And basically that's why uh, he, he lost his position on the throne. Anyway, as it says there, this Saul was very angry. And when people are very angry and they have a lot of power, what do they usually want to do? You see it going on all the time. You get some president and he gets really angry with somebody who criticizes him and he gets them assassinated. You can see it going on in Russia and in other places as well. This is the way the world works. This is the way the world, the fallen world works like that. That's how Satan runs the world in that sense. Anyway, so, so Saul you know, wanted to uh, kill David. And uh, Saul ordered his son Jonathan and all his servants to kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, liked David very much. So Jonathan warned David. So here we got Saul ordered his son Jonathan <coughs> to kill David. What should Jonathan do? Should he obey his father? Why not? Why shouldn't he obey his father? 
Would it be filial piety? Would it be an expression of filial piety if he'd obeyed his father and then went and killed David? Would it? Come on. Yes, no? No. No, obviously not. I mean, even in the Confucian's definition, you don't want to bring dishonor on your parents. If he'd done this, would that have brought honor onto Saul's name or dishonor? It would have brought dishonor onto Saul's name. So the right thing to do was not to do that. Saul's son liked David very much. So Jonathan warned David, My father Saul is trying to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Stay somewhere safe and hide. I'll talk to my father about you and I'll tell you whatever I find out. So Jonathan spoke highly about David to his father Saul, telling him the king shouldn't do anything wrong to his servant David because he, he hasn't wronged you. In fact, his actions have helped you greatly. He risked his own life when he killed that Philistine, and the Lord won a great victory for all Israel. You saw it and were happy about it. Why then would you do something wrong to an innocent person by killing David for no reason? So here then, Saul is very brave. He's standing up and arguing with his father because he thinks his father has made the wrong decision. He thinks his father is acting unjustly and unfairly. So justice then is an incredibly important virtue. Yeah. If you read about why God chose Abraham, it says there, God chose Abraham because he teaches children to be just and to be fair. Yeah? And that's why Abraham argued with God. Is it fair to destroy all of Sodom and Gomorrah? Is that really fair? Shouldn't the, the, the judge of the world do justice? So justice then is an incredibly important virtue. If you see somebody doing, who's in power and authority and doing something wrong, <laughs> who's treating somebody unfairly, unjustly, the right thing to do is to speak up. Speak truth to power. And there are people who do this, and in some countries they get killed. But they're martyrs. They'll go to heaven. At that, Saul got angry at Jonathan. Do you think I don't know how you've allied yourself with Jesse's son? So after Jonathan spoke to Saul like this, what should Saul have done? Saul should have listened to his son. He should have listened to his son. Yes, my son is right. Just like God listened to Abraham and God listened to Moses. Saul should have listened to Jonathan. Yes, you're right, Jonathan. It's me that's got the problem. I'm the one who's angry. I'm the one that's lost my temper. Yeah? And he should have listened to his son. So that's also really important. It's not a one-way conversation. He, Jonathan Saul should have listened to Jonathan and calmed down. Instead, Saul got angry at Jonathan. Do you think I don't know how you've allied yourself with Jesse's son? Jesse was David's father. Shame on you and on your mother who gave birth to you. It's not a very nice thing to say. As long as Jesse's son lives on this earth, neither you nor your dynasty will be secure. Now have him brought to me because he's a dead man. So again, Saul orders his son to, hand, to go and find David and to bring him before him. But Jonathan answered his father, Saul, why should David be executed? What has he done? This takes incredible courage. He's not just talking to his dad, he's talking to the king. And the king has the authority and the power just to have him executed and put to death. At that, Saul threw his spear at Jonathan to strike him. And Jonathan realized his father intended to kill David. Jonathan got up from the table in a rage. 
He didn't eat anything in the, on the second day of the new moon because he was worried about David and because his father had humiliated him. So when we talk about filial piety, it's, it's easy to, you know, if you've got nice parents to, uh, you know, to, well, relatively easy to do what they ask you to do. But what do you do when you've got a dad like Saul? How do you manage this situation? How do you practice filial piety when you have a dad like Saul? What do you do? You try to kill you? You get into a rage? You've been humiliated, you know, at the dinner table in front of all the court and all the nobles. You know, your dad, the king, has humiliated you. What do you do in that situation? Do you storm out? How do you handle these things? So this is why I love these kind of stories, because these are real stories about extreme situations in the Bible. And you see how people manage these kind of situations. So <clears throat> Jonathan then, he goes. <clears throat> and then Saul sent men to David's house to watch it, to kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, warned him. So what should Michal, who's Saul's daughter, what should she do to practice Filial just means son. There's no equivalent word for daughter. I don't know why. It just happens to be the case in language. <coughs> Filius is Latin for son. <coughs> so filial piety is, uh, is the worship of a son, relationship with a son. Anyway, so what should Michal have done? Should she have done what her, her father wanted? No. So she warned him, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. So Michal let David down through a window and he fled and escaped. And then Michal then, she's risking her life in this situation. Again, for the sake of her husband. <clears throat> and anyway, so Saul wasn't happy, so he married Michal off to another man, which is very sad for her and also for David, obviously. <clears throat> and so then Jonathan visited David, encouraged him in God and said... Don't despair. My father Saul can't lay a hand on you. You'll be Israel's king and I'll be right at your side to help. And my father knows it. Then the two of them made a covenant before God. David stayed at Horash, Horash and Jonathan went home. So Jonathan then, he didn't stay with David. He went home because he felt his place was to be at his father's side. So even though his father mistreated him so badly and he had this flaming argument with his father and his father even tried to kill him, Jonathan went home to be at his father's side to support his father. Yeah, that's filial piety. Yeah, you may fall out with your parents, but they're still parents. You know, that's the point. To be honest, I think a lot of people in our spiritual community, the true family, should read this story. Honestly, it's heartbreaking. People don't study the Bible. They don't study these stories. They don't realize, actually, you know, if Jonathan behaved like this, when Saul was treating him like this, what excuse has anybody else got? Anyway, so Saul, though, <clears throat> he took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Is that the right thing a king should be doing? Taking a whole army of 3,000 men to go and hunt, down, hunt somebody down? Again, it's a complete misuse of the government's uh, and the state's power and uh, resources. Anyway, so on the way, Saul came to the sheep pens along the way, and there was a cave there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. 
yeah, <clears throat> I guess it was a toilet. David and his men were at the back, far at the back of the cave. And the men said to David, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I'll give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. I guess Saul probably fell asleep on the loo. Anyway, so David's men then, who were, basically David became an outlaw, a bit like Robin Hood, he had his gang, and they went around doing stuff, running an organized crime unit basically, but a protection racket. Anyway, so David, so his men then said, oh, why don't you go and kill Saul? God has given him into your hands and then you can become the king. So David crept up and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterwards, though, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. That's how clear and how straight David's conscience was. Even just to do that, he felt bad about it, he felt guilty about it. He felt, I shouldn't have done that. So, you know, he was a very conscientious person, very much connected to his uh, relationship with God through his conscience. Then David said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is anointed of the Lord. And that's important. You know, when God anoints someone, that person's anointed. You may disagree with them, you may fall out with them, but that doesn't give the authority to try to replace them or to depose them or to, you know, stage a coup d'etat and all these kinds of things. <clears throat> He is the Lord's anointed. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. This day you've seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on the Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I. That was a good, you know, Saul recognized, actually, David is better than me. He's more righteous than I. And it had some kind of a change of heart. You've treated me well, but I've treated you badly. Well, this is the idea. And even if someone treats you badly, you still treat them well. You don't seek revenge. You don't want vengeance. If God is, if anybody's going to bring vengeance, it's going to be God will organize all these sort of things. You have just told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? This is, you know, about the world we're living in today. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? So there's a lot of discussion at the moment, the relationship between uh, the West and Russia. And during the Cold War, communist world was obviously uh, the enemy, a huge nuclear build-up on both sides, uh, huge threats to uh, attack the West and to communize the entire world. 
<clears throat> but then when Reagan and uh, Mrs. Thatcher and uh, Gorbachev met each other, Helmut Kohl as well, I think Mitterrand too, they had lots of conversations. And Gorbachev wanted to reform the Soviet Union. He wanted to let go of the Soviet Empire, the countries in the east of Europe, and basically become incredibly vulnerable. What could the West have done in that situation when the Soviet Union fell apart? What do countries normally do when the enemy experiences military and economic and social collapse? What do they normally do? They attack them. They invade them. Yeah? So even though there are many, many complaints from Russia, oh, you didn't do this and this and this and this and this, at the end of the day, in the early 90s, had the West wanted to, they could easily have invaded and conquered the former Soviet Union without any trouble whatsoever. But they didn't do that. Instead, they allowed this whole perestroika thing to go through and the whole restructuring thing to go through <clears throat> for the different countries in the east of Europe to become independent. Um, and that was a really good thing to do, a very noble thing to do. It doesn't happen often in history when people allow their enemy to fall apart and don't take advantage of them. That was a wonderful thing that the West did, and I'm sure, you know, the Christian uh, impulse behind that. <clears throat> At the same time, there were promises that were made and promises that were broken, <clears throat> promises that the West would not, that NATO would not expand. <clears throat> Those are promises that were broken, and that was a big mistake, and that's partly behind what's going on now in the Ukraine. Well, it's, it's interesting. You didn't <clears throat> when a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? You look at that, just in the streets in London, some parts of London, the gang warfare, that's just the way it works. May the Lord reward you well for the way you've treated me today. So Saul blesses David then. He blesses him. <clears throat> I know that you'll surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So again, there are some parts of the world <clears throat> where if there is a rebel, not just that person gets killed <clears throat> or put in prison, the whole family gets put in prison, <clears throat> back to <clears throat> several different generations. I think that goes on a lot in North Korea. One person defects, the whole family gets incarcerated into some concentration camp, back to several different generations trying to wipe out the lineage. That's not unusual in the evil world, satanic world. <clears throat> but Saul said to David, please don't let my lineage disappear. And when David became the king, then uh, he, Jonathan, as we'll look at in a moment, actually died. But uh, David sought out one of uh, Saul's grandchildren, Ishabotheth, I think his name is called. And he brought him to the palace and gave him all Saul's family land and he's treated him very well and with great honor. So he kept that promise that he made. He didn't think, I'm going to wipe out Saul and Saul's lineage in case somebody wants to challenge me for the kingship, which again is what often happens. You look at English history, it goes on all the time. So there's a lot of good things here. You think, well, this is 3,000 years ago, but there's an incredible amount of wisdom in the way in which they conducted their politics. But as I said, Jonathan, though, practiced filial piety. He went home, <clears throat> and then he fought alongside his dad. And they got into another war, another battle with the Philistines, 
And the Philistines attacked the Israelites. The Israelites ran away from the Philistines, and many fell dead on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and they killed him and Jonathan. So Saul was killed, and Jonathan was killed fighting alongside his father. So even though his father treated him the way he treated him, Jonathan went home. He remained loyal to his father because he loved his father. The filial piety, the essence of filial piety is not obedience, it's love. Jonathan loved his father, even when he disobeyed his father because he thought his father was wrong. Just because he disobeyed, disagreed with his father and disobeyed his father, he didn't separate from his father. He didn't go off and do his own thing. He remained standing at his father's side. And I'm sure they carried on arguing about this, but they never separated. They never went a different way. That makes sense? So important to understand the core of the biblical tradition is not you shall obey God, but you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Same, you shall love your parents, honor your parents, even if it's difficult, like with Saul. But Jonathan did that. So that's the biblical example of filial piety. And I think Saul is one of the most wonderful characters, I would say, in the Bible for this. Anyway, news arrived to David. And again, how did David respond? When he heard the news, David said, Saul and Jonathan, so well loved. David loved them. So dearly cherished. In their lives and in their deaths, they were never separated. Yeah? They were never separated. Their bond of heart was there, even though there were lots of struggles in that relationship. They were faster than eagles, stronger than lions. And David's, I've edited most of it out, I praise them for this. How mighty have fall, how the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You are very dear to me. So again, David, when he hears that Saul has been killed, he doesn't think, great, now I can become the king. He didn't re rejoice at the, at the downfall of his, the person you know, who in many ways was his enemy. It broke his heart. He was not happy that Saul had been killed or Jonathan was killed and he wept. And um, you know, he dressed up and you know, he grieved for, for quite a long time. So again, I think this is, uh, you know, I think there's something there for all of us. You know, sometimes we have parents it's easy to get along with, sometimes parents are difficult to get along with. But at the end of the day, that bond should be unbreakable. And when people just walk away, it's really sad, to be honest. Um, it's a shame. And, uh, yeah. Okay, so thank you all very much. I think I've spoken for long enough. And uh, shall we just say a prayer? <clears throat> Most beloved Heavenly Parent, we thank you so much for being able to be together this morning, to meet together in the flesh, to be able to chat together, to talk together, to drink tea and eat biscuits together, but also to be here online as well. Father, we know that we're embodied beings and that we should meet each other in person. We thank you so much for these stories about uh, Jonathan and David and Saul. And there's so much wisdom here, Father. We all have parents. We also have our true parents. And we also have you. And Father, all, <clears throat> sometimes the relationship with you and with our true parents and with our natural parents isn't easy. Sometimes we rage and we argue and we fight. But still, Father, we want to have an unbroken bond of heart with you and with our true parents and with our own parents as well. 
And we want this bond of heart to grow deeper and deeper so we can learn from each other and we can grow closer and closer to each other. Father, we're sorry that we made so many mistakes in the past. And sometimes when we get into arguments with people, we separate in heart. We're so sorry for this because it's really painful. And Father, I pray we can have the heart to, <clears throat> to acknowledge the mistakes that we made and to be able to apologize and to make up and to renew friendships that may have broken, to renew relationships with our own family that may have broken down, with either with parents or with uncles and aunts and cousins, who for whatever reason we may not see. Father, to realize that as a family is the basis of society, as a family where you want to dwell and you want to live, and there's so many bonds within the family that need to be restored so we can realize and establish the family pledge in our own lives. Now for this prayer on behalf of everybody here, my name, William Haynes, of Sandra Bless Family, Archie.